Welcome to StarCast, a show about tarot, divination, and all things mystical. StarCast is a celebration of StarCon, the Southeastern Tarot Artist and Readers Conference. I'm Amy Mauser, and here's your host, Christiana Gaudet. Welcome to another episode of StarCast. StarCon is getting closer and closer. StarCon will be January 21st through 23rd, 2022, live in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and online on Excelevance. Tickets are available now. And we have so many great presenters at StarCon. And with me today is my guest, Fred West. How are you, Fred? Hey, how you doing, Christiana? I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to getting to see people in person and hear everyone and, and participation. And I get so jazzed about this stuff. So I'm really looking forward to getting to Florida, getting things going. It's, it's kind of taking center stage away from the holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> we are better than Christmas. Yeah. We're better than Christmas. Yeah, exactly. So I I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing everybody at StarCon and virtually connecting with everyone. I enjoyed the process last year. Uh, I really liked how diverse the speaker list was last year. There were a lot of people who I had never heard of, and um, I really enjoyed a lot of the presentations. Uh, and so I look forward to getting to physically meet some of those people and seeing what the course courses look like for 2022. So yeah. We have an even broader, taller, fatter, wider uh, selection. Good. <laughs> Yay. Some really interesting classes. Um, Frank Kwiatkowski doing um, Tarot and the Beatles. Yeah. For example. I mean, just awesome. like it really, I mean, not that, that that was just one on my mind, like, wow, where else yeah. are you going to find that? I, I don't know. I yeah, it's it's a very, uh, like I said, very diverse group. And I love how we had people from other areas of the world participating last year. The lady from Peru was fantastic. Yes, and she will be with us in person. Awesome. And yes. I, I really enjoyed that perspective. I, I like hearing, I, I mean, here, and I've been doing Tarot for... Since the 80s, let's just say that. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> and and I get so into Tarot, but from the American perspective. And so I'm always interested to hear the international perspective on what we do here in this country um, and what we kind of take for granted. I want to hear the diversity and see where it's being used in other places. Um, so I'm always excited. And that's one of my favorite things about going to conferences is that we get to talk about the thing that we love, the thing we geek out about, uh, Tarot and divination being a modern day Oracle. We get to hear that, but from other perspectives and it's, it's how do they do it? Not so much what it is they're doing. Yes, we get a little of that, but I like to hear the other parts of the tarot and divination world of like, what are they doing here? What are they doing there? And, you know, I just, I dig on that. I think that's cool. 
Wow, thank you for that perspective. And and we certainly are an international conference. We do have Maria Luisa Salazar, who you mentioned. She will mm-hmm. be with us in person. Uh, we have Marion Kirk from Scotland. She, I think, is still hoping to get in in person, but but may not. We also have Bigot Win- Windmill in, um, I think she's in Germany. Uh, so we, you know, we do have people from a lot yeah. of places. And, and yeah, the... It, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but that is an important thing to remember is that what we do really is global. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really. And what we do is important for society. Um, we are uh, modern day oracles. We are the you know, in ancient Greece, the, the, you would go to Delphi to get to to meet with the oracle. And that was a big thing. That was like Christmas, Thanksgiving, your birthday all rolled into one thing if you got to go to see the Oracle. And, you know, it it was like a family feast day. And coming to see us, we don't get that, those honorifics, but we still provide that service to our, to individuals, but to the communities in which we live in. You know, that we provide this way to connect to the divine that, gives us a message, gives us something to work with when we take that message home and, and work with it, you know, kind of thing. I keep, I keep thinking of uh, Thalassa from the Bay Area Terror Symposium. Um, she has this great thing of like, we are the whales cruising through the collective subconscious and we, we come to the surface and we spray all of our wisdom and knowledge all over. And then we dive back down into the collective subconscious, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to use that on the days, like when I take a couple of hours off, that's where I now am. I'm, yeah. I'm diving into the collective subconscious and cannot be disturbed. There we yeah, are. exactly. You know, and, and the first time she said that, I, I think I laughed out loud, uh, but I really, her message around what it means to be a modern day Oracle really resonates with me. Again, I've been doing this for a long time. And while it's not my main job, I mean, I have a muggle job, but my magical job, this stuff is far more interesting, important. Um, it, it, I, I always enjoy doing it. You know, there are days when I know I have a lot of readings and, and like, before I start, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. But by the end of the day, you can't shut me up because I'm so energized and enthused. I find, I mean, it, it's literally like being a rock star, you know, kind of thing. It's that feedback that I love getting. And that's why I'm like really excited to get up in front of t- and teach a class full of people something because I'm like, I don't know what 100% is going to look like, but I know that everyone, we're all going to enjoy the time we get to spend together. I'm a big proponent in when one person teaches, two people learn. Right, right. And so I, in my, in my workshop, um, I really want I don't want it to be one way. I want it to be two ways. I want it. I want everyone that comes to my workshop to feel free that they can say, Hey, I I look at it this way, or I don't agree with you, but the, you know, and I want to use it this way or that way. And I'm excited for that. I don't know where it's going to (laughs) go. Hopefully it 
doesn't get too carried away. <laughs> Should I be worried? <laughs> no, I don't think you should. But And I'm kind of glad I'm kind of one of the last speakers of the day. So I don't have to worry about like, oh, somebody's got to get into this room after me to, to have another workshop. I'm kind of at the end of the day. And if, and if we run long, we run long, you know, kind of uh. Uh, and, you know, when I scheduled you toward the end of the day, it was because you're a West Coast guy. And I thought, you know, we've got the time change. Yeah. If I put you early in the day, that's going to be in your body clock, like really yeah. unfairly early. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried to put, even though you're with us on our on our clock, yeah. I tried to I will put be. West Coast people toward the end of the day for that reason. But I'm, I'm glad that serves you. No problem. Yeah. So what is the title of your presentation? So my title is, uh, it's about reconnecting the, it's, it's about diving deeper into the concepts of birth pairs. I, on right now I'm struggling to get what the actual title of my class, my workshop was what I forget what I gave you as the title for my workshop, but it came out of, um, I've also been studying astrology and what I find interesting in astrology is the smaller asteroids and planets, the ones that people kind of discount, but they have a larger impact. Uh, an, an example of this is, you know, people look at Venus as the planet of love, and that's the planet of what, in, in my humble opinion, as a newly minted astrology student, Venus is what you're attracted to, not necessarily what you love. And so what I always look at is I always look at the asteroid Juno because Juno is Saturn's wife. It's it's kind of the Hera role. Juno and Hera were the same goddess. Mm -hmm. And she never left Zeus or Saturn, even though he was philandering all over the place. She was his partner. And so when I want to see how somebody's going to do in a relationship, if I'm looking at a chart, I want to see where Juno is, because that tells me in the course of the relationship, this is how you're going to work through the difficulties, right? So it's the smaller aspects, not the bigger aspects. And so when I had to come up with a workshop concept, I was like, how do I apply this concept into something tarot related? And then I have always loved the concept of true birth pairs. And, but we always tend to focus on our majors. We, right. you know, which is kind of where a lot of the material lies. It's, it's directed at the majors. Are you, I happen to be a tower chariot person. Are you? Okay. So I'm strength star. Yeah. Uh, John is, he's my disco ball. He is a sun wheel magician. Oh, <laughs> my husband. And I call him my disco ball because, you know, he he has a lot of energy and lots of ideas come and go. But we focus on what our majors are and we forget that when the concept of true birth pairs was kind of created, um, it wasn't just your majors, but you got minor cards that went with your birth pairs. And how do we embody, how do those minor cards play against what our birth pair is? And we don't, you know, it, it's one of these concepts of 
we forget that they're there. And I, I have to say that <laughs> uh, one of the people that created this concept, Angelus Arian, she's been haunting me for many years because I never got a chance to meet her when she was alive. Uh, but her name over the last five years keeps popping up in front of me. And I'm like, I didn't even know who she was. I didn't know that, you know, she was one of the people that taught Mary Greer and Jim Wanless, James Wanless. Mm -hmm. She was very influential. And uh, sadly, I never got to meet her. And when you go back to like the Tarot Handbook, there's a whole chapter on birth pairs there, but she doesn't call them birth pairs. She calls them constellations. You get a constellation. <laughs> so again, astrology to Tarot, it's like stars, constellations, birth pairs. It's there, but we don't always capitalize on that, right. you know, kind of thing. And, and so I want to dive deeper into what do the minors represent in your true birth pair wow we are going to have so much fun with that that is that is so right up my alley i i, <laughs> I mean i'm so excited about every class we're offering at Starcom. Yeah. but i have to tell you on a on a very personal level that is exactly the kind of stuff um that really grabs me and and i started tarot in the 80s as well mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. The, I took, I only took one formal tarot class back then at my local new age shop. Right, right. And the teacher gave us a, you know, like an old fashioned photocopied page from an Angelus Arian book, mm -hmm. which now I think about and I'm like, oh, you don't do that. But, you know, back then, you know, these that's things, what were, you did. that's what you did. Yes, that's what you did. And so her name was was with me from the very beginning, yeah. along with Eden Gray. Of course, my first book was an Eden Gray book. My right? first book was an Eden Gray. My first independent tarot book was an Eden Gray book. The one that came, like, the one that did not come with the deck. The one that I purchased ah, was yes. an old Bantam Eden Gray kind yes. of of book, you know, yes. kind of thing. I think it was called the Complete Tarot. Was it the uh, black one or the blue yeah, one? Yeah, no, it was the black one. The black, the black one, one, me too, me too. You know, yeah. kind of thing. And and I used, for many years, I used a lot of her key words. And then somebody pointed out that her key words were good, but they were all kind of negative. Like, they, <laughs> they weren't really positive. And I'm like going, again, here we have a tarot luminary that, like, nobody was able to interview and record for posterity who she was, what her life was like, because that all plays into who we are as tarot readers is how we, you know, what's going in our, in our lives goes into, to a certain degree, how we read and, you know, what we're producing moving forward. And like, nobody was able to interview Eden Gray to like record who she was and how she got into tarot and what her philosophies around tarot and divination were. And I'm like, I think that's really important stuff, you know, kind of thing. You know, the, the people that produced the Morgan Greer, those two gentlemen passed away. And it's like, why did you make those choices? Why did you choose to put the people up front in the card? 
you know, versus what other, you know, and we'll never know those answers, sadly. You know, and that's such an important point because at StarCon, one of our primary missions is the honoring of our card artists and designers. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of card artists and designers on site. We'll Mm -hmm. have Lisa Hunt, Cheryl Marchetti, all kinds of designers, uh, Gita Rash, all all sorts of people. Yes. Yes. Uh, Jamie Sawyer. And we'll be able to ask them that that very question, what's going on in this picture? That question that we cannot ask of those who are no longer with us. Exactly. And I think that's really important. It's one of the things, uh, Robin Wood, I love her deck, um, but then she independently published a book that really goes into depth of like, why is that belt blue? Why is that dress red? Why is this going on? Why is that? And having having an artist do that really helps you bond even better with the deck. I mean, there are many decks that were like, okay, this is great. And the little white book that comes with them says, oh, this card means this. And it, it somewhat describes a picture, but it doesn't tell us why did the artist make those choices. And, and bugs me. Yes. I want to know. And, yeah. I want to know. I mean, sometimes like I'll look at a card and go, I don't like, I know what the card means and I will talk about the card, but I look at it and I go, but why did the artist make this change versus that change? And that is, if I understood that I might be able to bond with the image better, if that makes sense. Now, that brings me to uh, another thing we're doing at StarCon, that Friday night is part of our opening ceremony. You and I have the great privilege, along with Jenna Matlin, of sitting on a panel facilitated by Nancy Hendrickson about how the different card images, how card images of different decks Mm -hmm. influence our interpretation. Yeah. I am very much looking forward to this. It it should be very fun. I'm it, again. Nancy is a dear friend of mine. We often have coffee in the mornings, and uh, you know, her and I have been studying tarot most of our lives, uh, and and we get into some deep conversations around tarot and imagery. So, uh, and the thing is, is She's going to be the ringmaster of that circus, and I'm going to let her. <laughs> I have no idea where she's going to lead that conversation. Uh, you know, and I, I, pro- I said to her, I said, you can't let me keep talking. You have to shut me down. Uh, you know, because what will tend to happen is, is even though I'm an introvert, when I'm up in front of people, I tend to be an extrovert. And like, if there's long silences, I feel like I have to keep talking. And so I will, and and I don't have any issue with that. And I'm like, Nancy, you have to shut me down if I keep talking. <laughs> so for those of you that are attending live, if I run on, please hold up your hand and say, Fred, please stop. <laughs> So let me ask you, what is your current and well, okay. Yeah. Okay. A couple of questions just about your practice. Yeah. Current favorite workhorse deck. Uh, my 
current workhorse deck and I have tried to change it, but it just keeps being used is the This Might Hurt Tarot by Isabella Rotman. What's a very I, modern choice? I I really honestly I love that deck. I it is it's a joy to read. It's very easy. It's I love how it is it is very inclusive, let me just say. The knights are mainly all women on motorcycles, which I love. Uh, the two of cups is two men. Uh, you know, there is all ethnicities represented in the deck. And it has this modern art style that I just find very easy to read. Um, for me personally, like I can throw those cards out and be like, oh, okay, here's what it is. Um, usually when I'm reading for clients, I put a selection of decks out and allow them to choose. Do you? What might be in that selection? Uh, so for a while, I had the Muka Tarot out there. Uh, the Robin Wood is usually out there. And then I like to put in a more challenging deck like the Margaret Peterson deck. What an interesting deck is that? <laughs> and I, I don't know. So I bought the Margaret Peterson deck. Uh, based on a recommendation from Avalon, Avalon Cameron. And I really, I got the deck and I really, really loved it. But I felt that the borders on the cards were restricting the artwork pretty much. And so it was the very first time I ever did this, I swear to God, but I actually cut all the borders off that card. You did it. You trimmed your deck. I trimmed my deck. It was the first deck that really was like, please get rid of these pale gray borders on this deck. And so I trimmed it. And the minute I trimmed it, I, you know, I had to round the corners and, you know, clean it up a little bit. But wow, that deck is so much more powerful without its borders on it. Really? Um, the imagery... I kept the words at the bottom because the imagery is so abstract. You kind of needed to know some reference point. Mm. So I kept the text at the bottom of the card, but all around it is, is all trimmed. And um, the artwork really just flows out of those cards so much better. Mm. Uh, and I really like, I really like it. Although some days it's a, a lot of people don't choose it as clients <laughs> um, because it is so abstract and they're, you know, a client's idea of Tarot is they have this idea of what they expect a Tarot reading to be. And that's why I put out something easier for them to digest, you know, kind of thing like a Rider Waite or even a Robin Wood. Um, but the ones that go for the challenge, I mean, some days I'm like, Oh, what is that card? And if it's a Margaret Peterson, I may have to like, pick up the card and actually touch the artwork mm. to just kind of go, what's go. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. This <laughs> is the seven of pentacles. Okay. This is the farmer making his choices. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. Uh, but I love that aspect of it. You know, I have been doing Tarot so long that sometimes I can do a reading without ever looking at the cards. You just tell me, you know, you say, it's this image. And I'm like, yeah, my brain clicks back into that going, oh yeah, there's that image. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the card. And a lot of times in my practice, I'm talking about what the card is, but I'm also 
keeping in mind what the narrative thread is that the cards are producing. So, okay, let me ask you there. Are we talking the narrative thread that the cards are producing in this reading, or are yes. we talking about your knowledge of how this card is depicted in five or six other decks that you have in your head? I might start from the second place of knowing what the image is, looks like in five or six other places, but I never want to lose what the narrative thread is in this particular right. reading. Right, right, Because right. that's the message that's important to the client. Right. Okay. And I, I never try to assume what the whole message is because I am just the voice of the universe. I am there to say this image over five or six images is supposed to represent this and the narrative thread, here's how it weaves in. But at the end of the day, whoever is my client, their understanding and how they're applying what they're hearing me say is entirely personal. And I can't, I don't make any uh, preconceptions about what that is. You know, you bring up a very interesting point because we're interpreting the cards and what we get from the cards, but the client is interpreting, you know, like, like the word Oracle, you've used the word Oracle mm -hmm. and the word Oracle is so interesting because it means like a bunch of different things. It, it mm -hmm. is the tool. Mm -hmm. It is the person who gives the message. Mm -hmm. It's the place where the message is given and it is the message itself. Yeah. All of those are Oracles, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there, there is that piece of interpretation that's up to the client. Yes. And that's such an interesting thing. And, and thank you for bringing that up because I've never really let that sit. And I mean, I've been a full-time professional reader now for almost 30 years. Yeah. And I've never really let that sit other than when the client comes back and says, well, you know, in the reading, when you said, do this, this, and this, and I'm like, I, I, I said, what now? Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's where that's coming from. I mean, when I put my cards away at the end of the day, I have no idea what I told anybody. Right. And, and so somebody will come back and say, oh my God, that was so life-changing. And I'm like, really? Okay. If you say so, but that was how they perceived it. And so when I'm teaching new Tarot students, I say the biggest hurdle you will ever overcome is letting go of the process of getting beyond the, M, is what I'm saying correct and right? Because it doesn't matter whether you're correct or right, because it, the reading is not for you. It is for the other person. That's, and, and that's why I tend to struggle for reading for myself because I can't speak it and hear it at the same time. Mm. You know, I, I really encourage my students to read for themselves. I, I think mm -hmm. it's a really important process. Yeah. yeah. And with that problem, I will often encourage them to set it up like you're reading for another person, mm -hmm. record it or mm -hmm. write it out and then go back and experience it as a reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's I, you know, I always encourage people to record sessions with me. Mm -hmm. I know not everyone does. I used to, I used to give people paper and pen to record it mm -hmm. because it, it, it's something very ephemeral. And if they don't record it, how do they come back and listen to it? 
And Dan Pelletier in his mm-hmm. audiobook that he did about the process, he says, you know, their recording of it is really important because it's how they will remember the process. Right. Yeah, I'm big with recordings. I always, um, back in the day, I would give everyone a cassette tape. Then it yeah. was a CD. I'm holding up a, a CD. I've got CDs with my, yeah. Yeah. my face upon them. Yeah. Uh, but now you also have a choice of a digital download. And yeah, well, it's a and huge thing. It's a huge thing. And I, I everyone that I encourage to do it, usually I would be one-on-one with somebody and I'd say, here, let me show you how to use your phone to record the session. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would say, I want you to listen to this three to five days from now. Mm. Because in the moment you get one interpretation, but later you get a second or sometimes a third or fourth interpretation that I wasn't aware of. They, you weren't consciously aware of it at the time, but with the little small amount of distance, it has a deeper ramification. Sure. If that makes sense. And, and so I, I, that's why I always encourage people to record a session. If you're going in to get a reading, it doesn't hurt to say, hey, do you mind if I record this? And hopefully your person you're getting the reading from says, please, by all means. And, you know, I have to say I'm suspicious of those who don't. You know, not every reader wants to do the technology piece of providing Mm -hmm. the recording themselves. Yep, yep. But a reader who does not allow recording, in my mind, that's a red flag. Should be. Yeah, you know. What are you uh, hiding? Right, (laughs) right. What do you not want to be responsible for? (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm a client, it's my reading. It's for me. The message is for me. It is mine. I paid you for it. Right. You've paid for this here. <laughs> you are, you know, as a reader, I am the voice of the universe. I am the way that the universal message gets translated to you. Uh, and and so it's like, please record. Knock yourself Absolutely. out. You know. So what was your first deck? So now you're asking my secret origin story. I am. I am. So Tarot came to me in a very, very funny way. Um, I have three older brothers and the brother closest to me in age. I'm the baby of the family. So my closest brother, Sean, was very into astrology, loved it. Um, And so unfortunately, he was like one of the worst not worse clients, but he was like, whatever was written in the pa- the local paper astrological section was written in stone for him. Oh no. That, yeah, you're right. Worst client. Yes. Worst client ever, right? <laughs> and so one year for Christmas and I was still in high school, uh, my mother bought Sean a Christmas present, which was an old copy of the I want to say it's the the Swiss 11J. The IAJ. Yes, yes, yes. yes okay. Yes. And in my family, Christmas gifts, each of us had a section around the tree where all our gifts were piled. Oh, that's fun. Okay. And this particular gift fell out of Sean's pile and into my pile, and we didn't realize it until days later. So 
the tarot deck was for Sean, but it wound up in my pile. And I don't share very well. So my way to keep that gift away from Sean was I would put it in my book bag and take it to high school with me. Gosh. (laughs) And I would sit in study hall and give readings to everyone at the table around me. And I was like, this is, again, I was immediately fascinated. I'd sit there with a book and say, okay, this card in this position, I think it's trying to say this. And, and I was doing Celtic cross at the time, you know, the, the standard, what you did in the early eighties tarot kit, you know, right, kind right, of thing. Right. and I was fascinated by the concept. I, I was like, this is cool. I like, I, I tend to like more knowing more about other people than I'm willing to reveal about myself. And people will reveal <laughs> unbelievable stuff in a tarot. <laughs> Um, and so I did this through high school. And then when I went to college, I quickly learned that I could have a fun evening if I went to a bar and just started doing readings at a bar. And then, you know, as a newbie reader, I don't want to charge people and people like, oh, we really want to give you some money. I'm like, buy me a drink. Buy me a drink. Right. You know, kind of thing. But it was a great lesson. It was a great way to learn to read. And again, I still, well, when I went to college, I didn't have the book anymore. Uh, and that's when I got the Eden Gray and I made a cheat sheet out of it. And I that would sit on my lap and I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, uh, and did that for a while. And honestly, I kept the Eden Gray cheat sheet and would add notes to it. So it was all scribbled and coffee stained and whatnot after many years. Uh, and I, it was a crutch. And the only way I got over that crutch is somebody took, they, they asked to see my cheat, my keyword cheat sheet. And then while they had it in their hands, they asked for a reading and they would not give me my cheat sheet back. Ah, ah, that's so great. So is there any Eden gray keywords that like really stick in your head now as like funny or never heard that before, or yes. very formative. Uh, go ahead, share. Uh, I want to say it's the Seven of Cups, and it just said castles in the air. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, without any like connotation to, to what castles in the air meant. Or the Nine of Cups was the wish card without any connotation of what she meant by that. And that was the only keyword was nine of cups was the wish card. Okay. You know, uh, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a struggle and, and it, it took somebody else to point out that these keywords are not very um, inspirational or they don't lift things up in the way that I think is important in a true read. One of my favorites that has really formed my understanding of a particular card, the card being the High Priestess, is Eden Gray referring to the High Priestess reversed as a woman of low virtue. Wow. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But that opens up so much in terms of understanding the High Priestess upright as sort of this perfection of womanhood and our idealized version of womanhood. 
And, and sort of, you know, where does that fit when we talk about societal misogyny? And, you know, there's so much packed into that card. And it will show up in readings in very beautiful and very terrible ways based on how a person deals with women. Wow. Yeah. That's, and like, so <laughs> that's really powerful. And this is a good thing. Is very different than how I see the high priestess. Right. Because to me, the high priestess is the club bouncer at Studio 54. Oh my gosh. Like, 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 okay. <laughs> if if you're respectful and you show up in the right way, in you go. If she doesn't like you, you're at the back of the line. And if she really <laughs> doesn't like you, come back next week and try again. Okay, fair. Fair. No, I'm, I'm good with you. Fair. That's that makes you know, sense. kind of thing. And and I just I, I love hearing everyone's different interpretations of things. Honestly, you know, you having said that, I'm like, I'm going to think on that for a little while. And that's going to change my perspective of mm -hmm. the high priestess. And this is where. Going back to what I said at the beginning is the importance of a tarot conference is yes. getting to meet people and talk about this stuff and share this wisdom that is not coming and getting a bunch of tarot readings, but it's we as professionals sharing our interpretations of things, you know, is so important. Nancy blew my mind the other night uh, in one of her Instagram lives about a card that I've always struggled with. And it goes back to Eden Gray. Her keywords were nostalgia. That was the key word. Six of cups. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, but if I'm giving a reading and I flip that card over and it just talks about nostalgia, it's like, how does that move a client forward? Because we're now, now all of a sudden, no matter what the narrative was, we're being thrown into the past. Oh, can I speak to that for a minute? Yes. Yes. Okay. So a couple things. Number one, if it's a situation of like, and why are we doing this? Why are we still in this relationship? Why are we still at this job? Oh, because it's been for a long time. We're honoring the history. It may not serve us anymore, but we're still honoring that history. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so that's one. Or this sense of familiarity. You know, why do you date that same kind of guy over and over and over again? Oh, your father was like that, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? So, mm -hmm. and then those are some dysfunctional things that show mm -hmm. up there. There are mm -hmm. also very functional things that show up. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the underpinnings of family tradition, what we do at, at the holidays every mm -hmm. year, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, which, mm -hmm. you know, could be much more positive. Mm -hmm. But, and especially, when it shows up with the wheel of fortune, because the wheel of fortune, you know, is those cycles. Cycle. Right. So, and anyway, yeah. if yeah. you wonder what happens at a tarot conference, what will happen at StarCon? You're going to go to a lot of great classes. You're going to meet a lot of great people. You're going to have an opportunity to shop for some great stuff, but maybe most importantly, whether online or in person, you're going to have the opportunity to have these conversations with people from all over the world. Fred West, I want to thank you so much, first of all, for agreeing to come to StarCon and teach an amazing class. I cannot wait. And thank, thank you. you for being my guest here on StarCast. 
Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in person again and seeing all the lovely people that show up. And just, I am so looking forward to, you know, those conversations that happen during workshops and in the evening in the lounge mm-hmm. when we get to sit and just play. Absolutely. And if someone wants to reach out to you for a reading, how can they get in touch with you? So I do have a website, but I'm not actually doing readings at the moment. Um, My website is Uh fpwconsulting.com. I keep trying to get my services up there for readings, but my muggle job is keeping me so well occupied that I just don't have the bandwidth to handle doing readings at the moment, but I will, but you will honestly will. I will eventually probably in the new year, get services up there so people can purchase a reading. I will do a nice recording and send them the recording. So perfect. um, Yeah. Perfect. And Uh, so being able to study with you at StarCon then is a rare and wonderful treat. It is a rare and wonderful treat. (laughs) That is fabulous. Well, we will see you in January and friends. Tickets are available right now, starcon.com. That's S-T-A-A-R-C-O-N. Ticket prices range from $50 to $425. Surely there is a ticket there for you. You can join us in person in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, or online on Excelevance. Either way, it will be rich, immersive, robust, and a heck of a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us for StarCast. For more information about our annual conference, visit us online at StarCon.com. That's S-T-A-A-R-C-O-N.com. We are looking forward to seeing you in January. January.